Welcome to the Matcast. This is a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world a little bit closer together. Glad you can join us today. My name is Matt Anderson. I want to talk today specifically about two artists. I've, I've entitled the, the episode A Tale of Two Artists, uh, specifically two painters. And what I want to do is share their artistic stories with you because uh, I I think you'll find them interesting. Our first artist uh, discovered art at a young age. He uh, he enjoyed sketching and uh, painting with watercolors. Uh, Usually he would depict uh, landscapes or cityscapes. Uh, he, He really fell in love with creating and even as a child decided he wanted to be a full time artist. Uh, now, his father, who was uh, quite rigid, <laughs> was against it. He wanted him to instead secure a, a civil service job because that, that would be something you could count on. His mother, however, supported his dreams, and that was uh, kind of the direction her son ended up going. Well, she died. His mother died when he was only 18. So rather than stay home with a father he really did not care for, he ended up moving out of the house to the largest city of the country because that city was known for its culture, its art, its creativity. But while there, things kind of went from bad to worse. Twice he failed the uh, art academy's admission exam, and he was told specifically that his drawing skills were, quote, unsatisfactory. Specifically, he was told that his skills at drawing the human form were subpar. He was okay with things like buildings and trees, but uh, not humans so much. And he became a literal starving artist, going from one rented room to another when he did have money, or living in homeless shelters or sleeping under bridges when he did not. When he was 19, he earned a small living by painting oil and watercolor postcard views of the city, and he would sell those to tourists. This finally allowed him to move into a men's shelter where he would paint all day and then read books into the night. Four years later, he would go to a neighboring country for a fresh start and and take residence in one of its larger cities, Again, selling similar postcards to tourists and even beer gardens. He was, he was able to find a few wealthy clients who commissioned works from him. But really, all of this came to a halt when the local uh, police arrested him for failing to sign up for the draft. And so soon after that, he would indeed be uh, entered into the military to fight in war, and he would never pursue his art again. Artist number two did not really discover art until he was 40. It was not a part of his upbringing. Besides, he was way too ambitious of a guy to even think about such things. Um, Born to a rather well-to-do family, he believed himself to be chosen by destiny to do something great. So that is what he pursued. 
first as a journalist and then a soldier. Eventually, he would be elected to political office. Uh, he was then given appointments and was working his way up the ladder. But personally, he was given to great bouts of depression his whole life. He would call it his black dog, and he would uh, see activity as the only remedy against his depression. But at the age of 40, he was actually at a career low. He had been publicly shamed and demoted, and now unsure of what to do, and with that hound of depression ever at his heel, he tried to find a new way of occupying his time. Well, his sister-in-law suggested painting as a hobby, and so that's what he began doing. He, he painted landscapes and seascapes. He loved to sit outdoors and paint what he saw. Largely self-taught, over the course of his life, he would actually create over 550 paintings. Now, eventually, his life would again become intense with increased responsibility, but he never abandoned his art. In fact, it would often be the thing he turned to for comfort and rescue when all around him seemed to be in chaos. Two artists. They were both contemporaries of each other. The first artist I described was Adolf Hitler. Hitler longed to be an artist, but isn't it interesting that he could not properly draw the human form? I mean, how prophetic, right? A man who never could truly see people. Artist number two is Winston Churchill, the great prime minister of England. During her darkest hours of World War II, he and Hitler would be sworn enemies in a vicious game of winner-take-all. So for Churchill, art was his greatest tool in fending off depression, and he had much to be depressed about in the late 30s and the early 40s, but art was a respite for him. These two men obviously could not be more different, but there is one characteristic in both of them that I want to highlight. For I think it is there that we can find clarity. All right, we're back here at First Christian and Pastor Mike has just wrapped up the service and should be joining us momentarily for the post-sermon press conference. Uh, we want to thank you for listening in your car on the way to the restaurant or back home. We, uh, we expect him on the podium shortly. Uh, let's see. However, he seems to be held up by a church member, a attempting to sell him essential oils, so this could be a long delay if someone doesn't intervene. Uh, thankfully, yes, thankfully an usher has just stepped in and uh, Pastor is being whisked into the fellowship hall. I would uh, expect him to uh, make a statement first, that's his usual pattern, before uh, entertaining questions. 
about what many may speculate was a rough service. Uh, let's see, he's being seated now, and uh, we will head live to the podium and Pastor Mike for his comments. <clears throat> yeah, um... Yeah, well, you know, as uh, as everyone saw, it was, uh, you know, kind of a tough one out there today. Um, you know, really went into the service thinking, you know, we had a good game plan. Um, our team, our team worked really hard this week in uh, preparation. Um, you know, worship band had a really good week of practice. Um, thought... Uh, Thought we had a you know good order of service, uh, nice transitions, uh, you know on, on paper at least, you know everything, everything looked like it was gonna flow, you know, but yeah, we had some, you know, had some technical issues. Uh, I think uh, one of my assistants told me that um, during one slide in worship, I guess the word holy had two L's, so. You know, some may have thought we were worshiping Holly. Um, I, you know, I, I think we had a coffee spill uh, on the center aisle. I think we, you know, we had an enthusiastic uh, worshiper kind of, you know, got into dance mode a little bit and, uh, you know, knocked over a cup that was on the carpet. You know, I, I mean, you know, those things happen. Um, you know they will. Uh, you, you have to adjust. Um you know, I, I, I'm sure we, we tried to do that this morning. I uh, thought we did as good as we could. But, you know, any given Sunday, man, you know, um, things can happen. Uh, you know, all you can do is put it behind you and get ready for next Sunday. So um, anybody have questions? Um, y yes, uh, Pastor. Uh, Dave Walensky. Um, mysterious guy who sits on the fifth row and refuses to engage um, was the original intent of the sermon to have three points because I only picked up two uh, am I am I right on that yeah um, that was kind of a decision on the fly uh, you know all week I kind of struggled to find a third word that started with a K um, I just couldn't quite get it there. Um, so I, you know, saw my notes and looked ahead, noticed that point three, point three was actually righteousness. So, uh, you know, I just called an audible and decided to leave it be. It's, you know, it, it's one of those uh, preaching decisions you make in the heat of the moment. You know, I mean, I had kindness and knowledge and... Well, and technically, those don't count because there wasn't true alliteration. Well, you know, I, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree about that. Um, to me, uh, having having the same first letter is enough. Um, I, you know, I think I've shown that consistency uh, throughout my career. You know, but hey, I mean, that, that's how it goes. You know, when it works, you're a genius. And, you know, when it doesn't, uh, you know, everyone's having you for lunch. Uh, uh, next question. Yes, Pastor. Hi, uh, Joni Fox from the Women's Bible Study. Yes, Joni. Hi. Um, I had a question regarding your sermon illustrations. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been noticing over the past few months that 
there seemed to be an increased number of sermon illustrations dealing with things like car repair, hunting, and MMA fighting. Uh-huh. Are you concerned that you, you might be alienating at least half the congregation? Would you consider maybe using illustrations on, I don't know, like house flipping or couponing or even gardening? Well, look, I, you know, I, I can't be anybody but me, you know, and, and I can only be the best me that I can be. Um, you know, at this point, I, I think people know what to expect from me, um, and I, I hope that's enough, but, you know, sometimes it isn't. Um, there, there just isn't a lot I can do about that. I mean, you know, one of the things I, I learned early on um, is, is that you can't be all things to all people, you know? Um, I, I got to be true to myself, you know? I, I, I think I speak for the whole team, you know, when I say uh, we left it all on the carpet this morning. Yeah, thanks, uh, Pastor uh, Randy Chapman, uh, discontented former board member whose wife refuses to switch churches. Uh-huh. Well, you know, we all know you have a big End Times series starting next week. Yes. All I'm saying is, do you think you got so focused on looking ahead to the tough series next Sunday that you kind of let this week get away from you? <laughs> Uh, Randy, I can always I can always count on you. Listen, um, I, I know it's easy to sit back on the padded seats and think you can do this job. Um, and look, I'm used to second guessers all the time. It's just one of the rules of having this job. But look, you can only do one sermon at a time. And you know the fact is that the the team and I put maximum effort into this week. Um, Sometimes it goes according to plan. You know, sometimes it doesn't. So, so has this made you think twice about the end time series, or uh, will, will you just defer to your safe, usual, shallow content? <laughs> uh, sarcasm duly noted, Randy. Uh, last question. Yes, Pastor. Hi there. Judy Feltman from the Senior Saints Ministry. I'm just wondering, at what point will you actually address a recurring problem? Uh, and what's that? Well, clearly the Robinson baby on the third row has become an intolerable distraction. He cries like a banshee, as if he's losing his liver, and his mother just refuses to remove him from the service. I mean, how long, how long will you allow this to be a distraction? <sighs> look, look, I know... I know it seems easy from your perspective, but when, when you're the leader, there are lots of things at play. I mean, do, do I realize that mom regards her child screeching as white noise? Yes, I do. do. Do I wish that she would have the slightest bit of consideration for everyone who made the effort to be there today? Yes, I do. Uh, do I wish I could tell the mom that her child sounds like the spawn of Satan? Yes. I wish I could, but you know, I can't do that, Judy. I could never do that, and, and, and you know I can't. All right, all right, with that, I will see you all next week. All right, Pastor Mike has just wrapped things up here. Uh, tough loss today for the home team. Uh, I'm sure it'll be an interesting staff meeting on Tuesday. Uh, we'll have to see if his comments about the Robinson kids set off a Twitter firestorm. Well, either way... Thanks for tuning in. 
Enjoy the buffet. one thing that Hitler and Churchill had in common. I think that one thing was imagination. You know, artists require imagination. We, we are called upon to make something out of nothing. We are called to look at the bare canvas, uh, the blank page, the formless lump of clay, the unused roll of film, the empty stage, and imagine something into existence. It is a tremendous gift to have. However, our imagination can also be used against us. Hitler had imagination. Satanic imagination, but imagination nonetheless. It took him to demonic places. His imagination led him to places of paranoia, literally believing that Jews were personally plotting against him and conspiring to rule Germany and the world. Uh, it sent him, his imagination, to places of extreme narcissism and sociopathic behavior, and I would argue psychotic behavior, in which he could not empathize with anyone. So, therefore, anyone else's life was utterly meaningless to him. His imagination allowed him to envision grandiose uh, city and state planning with detailed models of futuristic cities. And it was his imagination, misused, that helped him to dream up the final solution, the elaborate system of concentration camps and the systematic annihilation of the Jewish people. Our imagination can be used against us, especially if it is not rooted in Christ. In case you're wondering what that looks like, because there's no way to relate to someone like Hitler, obviously, but let me just ask this. When's the last time you had an unreturned text? You know, you put something out there and you don't hear from them for about an hour or two hours or three hours. Your imagination can suddenly be used against you, and you can start to think of all kinds of scenarios of why they're not getting back to you. It really doesn't take, take much for our imaginations to be used as a weapon against us. Winston Churchill also had imagination, and, and sometimes it did get him into trouble, like his, his oppressive policies in India when it was still the British Empire. During World War I, I think he was Lord of the Admiralty, and he conceived an elaborate assault on Gallipoli. But it was not executed properly, and it ended up being a major defeat, an embarrassing defeat to the Allies. And it practically ended Churchill's career, at least for a long space of time. 
But that same imagination also thought of a way to safely remove 300,000 British troops from Dunkirk when the Germans were closing in. And it looked like the British army was going to be annihilated. He conceived of using private ships, small and large, of all size, to suddenly come to Dunkirk and evacuate all 300,000 troops, or almost all of them. And it saved the Allies. This is way before the Americans got into the war. And that imagination also wrote some of the greatest speeches by any political leader of any time. Our imagination can be used through us to bring clarity and reflection and even rescue when used correctly. But like every other part of our lives, our imaginations must be redeemed. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is from the King James, puts it this way, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now listen to this casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Part of those holy weapons that we believers in Christ fight with help to cast down imaginations, not, not ruin them, not rid us of imagination, but to, to take those parts of our imagination that can be used against us and they are cast down and brought under the obedience of Christ so that now every thought is captive to the Lord's obedience. And I think our imaginations need to be redeemed in Christ's hands so that they are always rooted in truth, not in lies. Artists, please hear this. Is your imagination under the blood of Jesus Christ? I know that sound, I sound old-time churchy here when I say that, and the only thing missing is my southern accent, but <laughs> I couldn't be more honest right now. Is your imagination under the control, under the healing, under the blood of Jesus Christ, under His grace? because then it can be used effectively. If we find ourselves feasting on anxiety, on worry, fear, depression, anger, hatred, envy, our imaginations are off the rails and they need to fall back into submission to Christ. Unredeemed imaginations create quote-unquote art that does nothing but aggrandizes itself or the artist. In fact, I think it honestly takes the easy route, the defeatist route. It's so easy to do that, to be nihilistic and dystopian. To me, that takes almost no energy whatsoever. If we want our imaginations to be used effectively, we instead need to hear the words of Philippians 4.8, when Paul wrote, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts. That's something we personally must do on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So as creatives, let's submit our imaginations to the Lord. May I just ask all of my creative friends, make it a regular practice and say, Lord, I give my imagination to you. 
not just my thoughts and, and, and all, which is obviously key, but go further than that because we're artistic people. Lord, I give you my imagination. It is yours. I pray that it will not be used against me and that it won't cause me to create in fear and in anxiety and worry and doubt. Let's submit our imaginations to the Lord so that we will bring every thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ, that we can have something to encourage people for a day, a week, a month, or maybe a lifetime or longer. But that only happens through people who have imaginations under his hand. Well, we appreciate you being a part of the Madcast. Our music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. If you'd like more info on our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.